From the Ice to Your Earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Well, changes are afoot <laughs> on ESPN on Ice, Emily. Hi, I'm Emily Kaplan. Indeed, you are officially yeah. now a co-owner of this podcast, I believe. You know what? You're going to see so much more authority from me now. I, I'm excited. You better watch out. This means that you have equity. You have all the bitcoins. Oh. You have all the things. That Where do go, I pick up the bitcoins? I, I'm not sure. At the piggy bank? Probably somewhere here on the beautiful Bristol campus, which we're both on for some uh, ESPN meetings this week. So we're in Bristol. It's snowy. It is. Say snowy. that. It's and lo- lovely. Picturesque. Oh my god! It's like a it's like a Hallmark card review look here. We'll take a postcard later for you know send out some belated happy yeah. holidays from your friends at ESPN on Ice. Oh, it's going to be my holiday card next year. It's going to be me next to the ESPN cafe holding a Starbucks. You had one of my favorite holiday cards this year, by the way. The sneakers. It was pretty much just a huge postcard with just a huge photo of his dog, and then it said, "Love Greg and family." The first thing I wanted to talk about today, besides how great my dog is, because you're right, sneakers is it's the best. Great. We're both staying at a hotel here in Bristol, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I tend to leave the TV on a lot when I'm in a hotel room. I leave it on at home as well, but go on. Right, for background noise. Yeah. And I realized today that there might be one show I can identify as hotel show, but never at home show, mm. and it's NCIS. <laughs> I, I was I, hoping you wouldn't say chopped because that's my everyday show. No, that's an everyday show. But like I, I was it, this morning, I was like, you know, iron and, and whatever. <laughs> and I noticed that like the TV was on. It was on USA Network and NCIS was on. And I'm like, I I have never actually put on an episode of NCIS in my house or in life yeah. or on a mobile device or that's anywhere. Amazing. But I could tell you for certain that I've seen multiple episodes in a hotel room. And it might just because it's on and it's decent background noise. Mm-hmm. But then like I'm like. I mean, I could see why people like the show. I just would never make time in my life to watch it other than to just have it on in the hotel. Is there any television network or show that is your official hotel background noise friend? The Weather Channel. Yeah? Yeah. I kind of get into it, though. (laughs) It's not something I would want to watch at home. But when you're on the road, I don't know. There's just something about their reporters that are just so brave and interesting. And meteorology, as we've discussed, is not my forte. So Mm -hmm. I just like listening to the experts. Not your forte, but a bit of your passion. Bit of my passion, yes. All right. All right. Well, we're passionate about something coming up here in the NHL, which is the NHL trade deadline. And this is what we're going to be talking about in our open ice segment here on ESPN on Ice. Uh, we, we tiered all of the people that are available, we think, at the NHL trade deadline on ESPN.com this week, going from the players that uh, you'd have to spend a king's ransom to get. Or your neighbor's yacht. Or their neighbor's yacht. All the way down to uh, basically, you know, it's like buying my old rollerblades from 2006. <laughs> it was a great piece. Thank you very much. Um, but we wanted to kind of focus on one subgenre of available players for the trade deadline, which is guys that want out. We already saw Anthony Duclair move to the Blackhawks. What did you think of that uh, trade, Chicago? Yeah, well, it's interesting. And I just want to talk about the guys who want out and specifically Duclair. My dad was visiting me when that happened in Chicago. And my dad, grew up, we're huge Ranger fans growing up. My dad still is. And uh, we remember Duclair when he was on the Rangers. The Duke. The Duke. Yeah. Uh, the, the brief period he was there. And my dad never is like a get off my lawn in my day kind of guy. <laughs> but he could not believe. He was like, 
how old is this kid? Like 26 and he's demanding a trade? Like, what is this? <laughs> and I think it speaks to this new generation. And I don't want to get into this like millennial speech because as you know, and you probably know by listening to me, I am a millennial. Mm. But in the off season, um, so I am talking, I by the, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might just miss the cutoff. I'm a willennial. Uh, I'm a, I was, uh, in my formative, millennial? in my formative years, uh, Will Smith was a major star. Oh, so I'm a willennial. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but I was speaking to an agent, uh, earlier, uh, in the off season. I was asking him, What's the difference between players now and, you know, players 10 years from now, 10 years ago, rather? And he said, there's just this, like, urgency where they think that they kind of feel like they deserve something. They they feel entitled to it. And he's speaking to many millennial themes. For example, he said, if I have a guy, he plays a half a year in the AHL, he's ready to get called up. And he's like, why am I not getting called up yet? Mm. And I almost feel like with Anthony Duclair, we might see this wave of players who are younger and saying, it's not working out. I want out. And I think that we might, you know, this could be a trend. So they're entitled. They're like, I need more money. I need to I buy more. I feel I deserve it. I feel like I worked hard. I did my piece. Why am I not getting the money? I deserve to have avocado toast and own a house. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Okay, avocado toast gets such a bad rap, but it's a delicious, <laughs> it's an easy breakfast. It's nutritious. It fills you up. And it's just, I don't it know, nothing, it's aesthetically the, pleasing. The, the, the taste of it has nothing to do with why it's maligned. It's maligned because it's avocado on toast. They sprinkle some salt on it and it becomes a $12 meal at brunch. Chili flakes. Or chili flakes or whatever. Anything that you can get in a shaker from McCormick, Mm. they put it on the avocado toast and be, it's something that probably, it's like when you're watching like Shark Tank and they're like, you know, how much does this cost? And they're like, oh, it read this jar of chili. Oil costs uh, $22. And how much does it cost for you to make it? Three cents. That's how I feel about avocado toast. The, it's the markup that people don't like. Fine. Do you oh. agree with me that we're going to see a trend, though? Poss- potentially. The other guy, though, that that's sort of uh, kind of a sad, more tragic trade demand with Jack Johnson. Yeah. As Aaron Portsline of The Athletic reported, he wants to trade. This one's a bit a bit more disconcerting because it seems like the crux of the of the trade request is... I got to get more ice time than you're giving me because I need a new contract because of the fact that my parents stole all my money. It's really sad because he's a veteran, but he's not like most veterans where he doesn't have money saved up because there was a really tragic financial situation that yeah. happened to him. Um, so, yeah, he does need another contract. And if it's not working out in Columbus, um, they're going to need to make a trade. But as their GM said, we're only going to make a trade that makes sense for the Columbus Blue Jackets because this is a team that's in a win now mode. Yeah. And so, you know, you can't go giving out charity favors as as, you know. Grass as that sounds. I wanted to ask you about the phil- the philosophy behind trade requests and demands, though. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that? Are are you are you someone who is more aligned with the GMs and the owners that that hear these things and say, "No, you are a an asset. You are a a puzzle piece. You are a a name on a piece of paper, and you are uh, we own you." Or do you kind of fall on the player side that you know what? Sometimes things don't work out. And it's sort of in keeping with the player ownership management relationship that if things aren't working out, you should do your best to try to find a guy in a new situation. I think it's difficult in the age of free agency because we have empowered players. We're saying, look, you're not stuck with one team that just happened to pick you up. You do have, you know, the right to choose what team you're going to go to in a couple years or, you know, you can you can create your own path. That said, if you're in a contract that's four years plus and you're unhappy, um, you know, maybe you need to figure out how a way to make it work. So I don't know. I think I'm torn. I think part of me wants to say we should empower players and they can choose their own path. And part of me saying, well, you just play out your contract. You, you, you suck it up, you make it work, and you can go and figure out what you want to do after that. Right. I'm kind of more on the side of, of management on this one because I, I really do feel like, you know, 
every every player is an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing when we when in in the past we've had discussions about uh, when coaches want to go get a new job. Uh, and they're under contract and teams are like, well, if you want to hire this guy, you got to give us a draft pick or two or whatever, right. you know, and, and when that was a thing in the NHL, I'm like, yeah, people were like, don't hold this man hostage. And I'm like, but that's an asset. Like you're supposed to leverage every asset you have to get stuff to help your team, to help the players that are still going to be there once this, this guy is gone. And I feel it's kind of the same way about a trade demand. Like my heart goes out to somebody who's in a bad situation that we've all had jobs that sucked. And it would Don't suck. get along with your boss. Right. And it would suck to be like, imagine your worst job when you're working at Wendy's or something is, you know, in high school and imagine being stuck there for five years. I had to curl <laughs> ribbons at an upscale baby store. My thumbs were so raw. Right. I once got a note in my locker, a little cubby. It was so passive aggressive. Your ribbons are not voluminous enough. <laughs> if I stayed there five years, I would have been miserable. But the other thing with this, which I think is interesting. <laughs> Oh, oh, baby boom. You can look it up. Upper Montclair, New Jersey. I believe it's no longer in business, or at least I hope. Uh, but the other thing with this I was going to mention is, you know, once the trade demand comes out, and I think we're going to talk a little bit later about Evander Kane, well, then the value goes down because everyone knows they want out. So it's kind of this tricky play yeah. where, you know, the ownership probably doesn't want that leaking because they're not going to get their best value mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah, and that's to me like that's one of the great mysteries of the trade deadline. Uh, the Evander Kane thing being one of those things where you have to imagine at this point the Sabres and Kane both kind of know where each other stand and, and whether or not he's going to be back next year as he's a free agent. And I'm sure the answer to that is no. But then you look at a guy like James Neal, who we had listed in our, our trade tiers thing on ESPN.com. And like, that's the real mystery. You know, maybe there's been some communication with him or David Perron or any of the other free agents that are pending uh, for the Golden Knights that have value in the open market to say, Look, it's cool what's happening this year. I'm not looking to make Vegas my home. I'm not look. I'm a you know. I, I like geographically other places. My nose is always too dry. Like whatever. Like I have to imagine there needs. There, there's probably been some conversation between these guys and the team to the point where if James Neal says, "Look, I'm not resigning," then George McPhee probably needs to trade him. As much as he's been a big part of this night's team, and as much as it's been an amazing ride for them. You probably have to move that guy if you get offered a first. Yeah. Uh, if he's not going to be back next season, if he's not in the plans for next season. For sure. Yeah, exactly. All right. Second open ice segment that we want to talk about is the Andrew Cogliano situation. And uh, Emily, just strap in for a second. I hear you have some thoughts. I do. Do you know how like every morning you wake up now in life and you feel like you've taken crazy pills because logical, sane people... Every single day are doing illogical, insane things. You know how that's sure. like yeah. our existence now? Yeah. That's how I felt for the last few days in reading the reactions to Andrew, Andrew Cogliano getting suspended by two, for two games, uh, by the NHL for hitting Adrian Kempe in the head, uh, two seconds after he released the puck. The suspension ended his consecutive game streak, his career long consecutive game streak at 830 leaving him 134 games short of Doug Jarvis's NHL record. Mm. And it sparked a wave of insanity in which people like Ty Domi and Ryan Whitney and Jeff O'Neill and other guys that played in the league, who I'm sure at some point in the last 10 years have called out the Department of Player Safety for their inconsistencies, all of a sudden are now saying that because Cogliano's a good guy 
And because Cagliano had this streak going, there should have been an exception to the rule and he should have just been fined rather than suspended for what is, on its surface, a suspendable play. This is making me insane. I look back to 2014 at every suspension, every every moment in which the Department of Player Safety has taken action on an interference play or an illegal check to the head. And this was an interference suspension, but it was also a hit to the head. Right. Okay. There have been 40 instances where the Department of Player Safety has taken action. And, yeah. Okay. okay. 37 of the 40. Resulted in a suspension. Resulted in a suspension. Three, all of them in 2014, when they're still just trying to figure out this stuff, were fines. Since 2014, every single instance has been a suspension. There's one instance I want to point out, which is 2016. Jake Furtanen got two games for what was essentially the same play that we saw with Cagliano. You can go back and watch the video. Guy releases the puck. In that case, I think it was Roman Polak. Releases the puck. Vertanen hits him in the head. It's clear he is checking him in the head. It's not a a follow-through. It's nothing. It's a hit to the head. And he got suspended two games for it. Now, no one gave a crap back then because he wasn't on a consecutive game streak. But now because Cagliano is, we've got this massive wave of advocates lining up behind him to bemoan the fact that the Department of Player Safety did uh, its job in suspending the guy. So here's my opinion about this Cogliano thing in total, Emily. My opinion is this. If you are someone who said that the Department of Player Safety and the NHL suspension apparatus should have not acted in this case against Andrew Cogliano because he has a consecutive game streak going, I am pulling your card. You no longer have a right to ever complain again about them being inconsistent, about them not looking at things professionally, about favoritism, about any of it, because you are literally asking them not to do their job because you like the person they're punishing. And you're rooting for the person they're punishing to set a record. So don't come at me anymore with this, the the player safety people are inconsistent. How dare they be inconsistent? Because they were consistent here. This is what they do when someone hits a guy in the head on an interference call or hits a guy in the head on a legal check to the head. They suspend him. It's what they do. And they did it here. And you're pissed about it because you didn't want this guy to get suspended because he played a lot of games in a row. It's nonsense. So I pull your card. You lose the right to ever complain about inconsistency because you are asking for inconsistency in this case. And the last thing I'll say about it, Emily, and I can't believe you didn't leave to go get a cup of coffee or something during this. Oh, I did. (laughs) Listeners can't. Maybe you just didn't notice. You were ranting. You were looking somewhere else. Yeah. I have my new Duncan. It's great. All right, go on. The last thing I'll say about this is, 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 you know what the great thing about records is? Yeah. We can literally make it up as we go along. There are no rules to say that if Andrew Cogliano plays 965 games consecutively. That hockey reference can't just change their mind. Without an injury or without being a healthy scratch. The only games he misses are these things where he was suspended. That we simply just can't say, you know what? Longest streak in NHL history without an injury or a healthy scratch. And just give give him a prize. Say he's the guy. Go on Wikipedia and put him at the top of the list. Who cares? 
It's not as if every record has an asterisk, you know, because Dick Clapper played 24 games in a season and we play 82 now. No one cares. We can literally just honor the man if he does it. If he breaks the record, we just say, here's your record. You did great. But doesn't mean that we don't suspend people for hitting guys in the head because at the end of the day, good people make bad plays and the Department of Player Safety has two tasks. One, punish the people that always hurt people. Two, change the behavior of all of the other 99% of the league so you don't hit guys in the head two seconds after they release the puck, which is what Cogliano did, which is why he got suspended. Clearly, I don't have as strong of a take as Greg, so I'm just going to end this with if Ty Domi and Ryan Whitney are going to start selling ribbons, it's like Cogliano yellow ribbon. You're not going to buy one. <laughs> and furthermore, no, I don't really have nothing else. Greg, that was a great take. I agree with you. Let's move on. All right. Let's go to our extra attacker. Joining us now on the line is Joe Haggerty. He is the Boston Bruins insider for NBC Sports Boston, but we're going to make him the senior Boston Bruins insider for NBC Sports Boston because I understand that's a lament in life that you don't get to have. Maybe, do you want to be VP of Boston Bruins insiders for NBC Sports Boston or what? Well, that, that's when you know like somebody has uh, banged the drum to try to like trump up their title a little bit when you see senior next to it. You know, that's that's like a little bone being thrown at somebody right. like well, uh, you know, Joe, put them above everybody else. In. I just want to say, I'm the national NHL reporter at ESPN, but Greg, what's your title? I'm the senior NHL uh, reporter at ESPN. I love it. I love it. But also VP of hockey knowledge. Hockey emeritus of devil's knowledge. There you go. VP of hockey knowledge. I like that. I I don't even have the ambitions to try to go after that. That is a whole level unto yourself, my friend. Uh, We should really poll the Boston fans and see what they think your title should be, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) We should. (laughs) Maybe maybe Stanley Cup of Chowdle will write an entire column about Uh it. Uh-oh. Now he's throwing shade at bloggers already. (laughs) All right, Hags, we have you here because the Boston Bruins, frankly, are a sensation. As we do this interview uh, in 42 games uh, they have 56 points. They are 7-0-3 in their last 10. Uh, they, I believe, you know, are a flavor of the month kind of team insofar as being a championship contender. Why are the Bruins so darn good? Yeah, I, I, well, things have really come together for them. Um, you know, obviously they've had the, the core group that's been there and, you know, they're good and they've, they're proven and they've won. And, you know, Brad Marchand and, and Patrice Bergeron, one of the best duos in the league and, you know, to, to Raska, former Vezina Trophy winner. They've, you know, Zdeno Chara, obviously a future Hall of Famer. So they've got some good players. Uh, but I, well, you, you add to that the young players uh, that have brought into the mix this season. You know, they some have somewhere between four to six rookies in the lineup on a nightly basis. And uh, all of those rookies have played really well. Some of them have been huge impact players like Charlie McAvoy and, and Danton Heinen and Jake DeBrusque, and, and some are more role players. But uh, it's been a real influx of, of skill, youth, and speed to go with the established players that they have. Um, I, I think Bruce Cassidy has done a really good job pushing the right buttons with this team at, at key points um, that have helped them as well uh, get to where they are. And, you know, at this point, it, it what's interesting to me is kind of gauging who they really are. You know, are, are they, they're definitely better than I think they thought they were going to, I thought they were going to be and. You know, to be able to sustain something for two months like they have tells you that, you know, they're at a, they're at a pretty high level and, and they're one of the best teams in the East. But, uh, you know, what are they going to do in the second half when uh, the schedule gets really dense for them? They've had pockets of time off in the first half. You know, they, they're going to play a lot of games 
They're going to play 16 games in the month of March. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is uh, very rapidly approaching the number of games played that he had for you know everything he did last mm. year, whether it was the uh, World Wall. Juniors and Providence and uh, BU and everything else. So uh, are all of these rookies going to hit a big wall in the second half? And is, is the dial-up in intensity in the second half of an NHL season uh, going to push them down as far as the level of play that they have and, and provide some challenges there? So... You know, and they're gonna they're gonna face more injuries once the games uh, get dense and once they start playing a lot. So we'll see what happens. But I think it's just a nice mix of veterans and rookies with a good coach, uh, and they're they're playing with a lot of enthusiasm and confidence right now. And you put that all together in a wide open Eastern Conference where there's not a lot of dominant teams, and they've really been able to make a move. So Joe, I was just talking to Greg this morning. Like my three hockey fetishes this year are being on the Winnipeg Jets bandwagon. Like the underappreciation for Vladimir Tarasenko and Charlie McAvoy as being like this incredible rookie who's probably deserves a Calder but won't get it because he's a defenseman. <laughs> so uh, you're around him all the time. You're around this team. Like, is he as precocious off the ice as he's on? And like, why is he fitting in so well? Is it just is it Denon Chara just giving his infinite wisdom to him? Yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely an element to that, certainly. And, you know, Chara was like the, the Yoda-like defenseman figure to <laughs> Brandon Carlo uh, last year to another rookie. So he's he's done a really good job the last few years of uh, shepherding these young defensemen and, and really adding something to their game and helping them improve. Uh, and that's, you know, part of the attraction to keeping him beyond this season when he's uh, in his walk here, Chara, is uh, they've got so many of these young defensemen that he can help along and that he can be a real mentor towards on the ice. And there's real value there in addition to, you know, everything that he does. But you know, McAvoy, above and beyond, you know, any any help that he's getting from the veterans is a special talent. And I, I think it, we've seen that in pockets, whether it was at Boston University, whether it was, you know, helping Team USA win at the World Juniors last year. Uh, he's one of those players that not only rises to the occasion in the big moments, uh, but he tracks very comparably to Drew Zowdy in being a workhorse defenseman, being able to play in all situations, being a physical player, being a guy that can play against the other team's best players and quarterback a power play and move the puck. And, you know, he, he has like all the tools in the toolbox to be a number one defenseman, and he's well on his way to being that for the Bruins, that kind of mythical beast that every team's looking for. Right that young number one defenseman um, that they really needed. They needed somebody to develop into that. For sure. Um, and, you know, he, he's got the swagger of that kind of a player, too. You know, he's got a little bit of confidence. He plays with a little bit of that swagger and confidence, too. Uh, off the ice, he's, you know, he's a young kid. I think he's definitely competitive, definitely confident, definitely knows that he's got a lot to learn, kind of a fun-loving kid. Uh, but you, you can always tell when you're talking to him and when you see him on the ice that he's got a little bit of that swagger going. And, uh it's served him very well over the years. I'm excited to see how good he can be because, you know, they haven't had a young defenseman like this in a long time. He is everything uh, that Dougie Hamilton was not and was never going to be. Yeah, gonna, and, he, you know, he's been outstanding. I was going to say, like, he's, he's, he's a great number one defenseman who will eventually ask for too much money and get traded to Calgary. Uh, so I was, I was in, I was in Washington, D.C. when Bruce Cassidy was the coach of the Capitals. And, uh, he was not ready to do that job. And, uh, no. I remember a good friend of mine who, uh, Jimmy Patterson, who used to hit, sit in Section 417 at Capitals games, used to dismissively refer to him as the male model 
instead of being a hockey coach. Uh, and, and I thought that was a, a very dismissive thing to say, but I, I, I'm happy about his, uh, his second he, he act. He shopped at the fashionable mail in Mallrats. Uh, <laughs> he did, right. he, he yeah. did. And, and you did not want to have a chocolate covered pretzel from him. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but I, I'm happy about his second act. And I, I've, I've always had this, this pet theory about him and his success this season uh, and last season with the Bruins, which is that, I felt like Claude Julian was not necessarily the best coach for the younger players on the team. And I feel like, no. Bruce, like Bruce Cassidy not only has coached a bunch of these guys down in Providence, but was probably also seen as more of an advocate in their eyes than maybe Claude was. True or false on that? No, I think it's true. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a very pro-Claude uh, faction in the Bruins media, and you know, rightfully so, because he was a great guy. He treated us very well. He was a gentleman. Like, it's easy to like Claude, and it was easy to kind of put him on a pedestal and just say he was a great coach and never really question him. I mean, he's the winningest coach in Bruins history. So, you know, he did a plenty of great things uh, over his time. And I think earlier in his career with the Bruins, maybe he was a little more patient and a little more open-minded towards developing young players, you know, like a guy like Brad Marchand in, in 2011 is a good example of that. You know, I, I think it before he won the cup and before kind of he became, you know, the winningest coach in Bruins history, I think there was a little more patience maybe and a little more rope for young players uh, to have some success with. But at his heart, he's a, a defensive coach. He's a conservative coach. He's a coach that likes veteran players because they're more reliable than young guys. If a young guy makes mistakes, uh, he gets busted down, and he it takes him a little while to get another chance. And it, it's very easy to see under Claude Julian where a young player uh, can lose their confidence or can be afraid to make mistakes out on the ice. And I think that's what happened to to large degree with a lot of the young guys that are in the Bruins lineup. And, you know, going with youth, uh, like the Bruins were clearly going to do under Don Sweeney, going with speed, going with skill, going with more of an aggressive approach for check-wise and otherwise, none of these things are, are in Claude Julian's wheelhouse. You know, when, when they started going in this direction with all the stuff that they were doing, it was pretty clear there was never going to be a really good fit with Claude. And, you know, he was trying to be a greyhound when he's a Clydesdale. And, and once you start asking a coach... <laughs> <laughs> to do something different, that's when you start to really get into trouble, as, as good as they can be at adjusting, you know. So uh, I, I've been impressed, obviously, with, with Bruce Cassidy. He's been really good for the young players. He's got uh, relationships with a lot of them. I think he kind of is on their level uh, a little bit more than Claude was. But I'll, I'll tell you what, Wish, one of the things that's really impressed me and one of the things that you know, uh, having covered him in, in Washington, that tripped him up there was his treatment of veteran players and was his relationships with veteran players. Yeah. Um, and some of the stuff that happened down there. And I think, you know, he's figured out, and as he's matured and as he paid his dues and more in the AHL, how to balance those relationships, how to treat veterans fairly, how to, you know, not push them into a place where they're going to quit on him or tune him out, uh, but while still treating them like everybody else on the team. And I think that's a delicate balance. But, you know, Claude had his favorites. Claude had his guys he was not going to uh, bench. He was not going to scratch. He was going to, you know not really question and go after. And, uh, you know, to his credit, it was part of what helped him have a, a, a veteran-laden locker room that would be police itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, what you see with Bruce Cassidy is, you know, benching Tuka Rask for four games when he's not playing well. That is something you never saw with Claude Julien. He never sat Tuka Rask or any of his number one goalies for four games in a row like that. Well, the last question I have is, you know, we live in divisive times, Tuka Rask. I just, I wanted to ask about him. It's the most divisive question in Boston, right? So I'm just it curious, is. what happened in the first half of the year? Like, were reports of his demise greatly exaggerated? Is he okay? 
Well, no, it wasn't his demise. I I just think he's on the downslope of his you know career. He's a, a number one that you have to only play a certain amount of games. He's a number one that uh, is going to go through periods where he has trouble. He's a number one that does not necessarily always rise to the occasion in big games. You know, the thing is, like, you're paying him $7 million. You expect him to be a franchise number one goalie. And when you start putting all these conditions on saying he's a number one goalie but this, he's a number one goalie but that, you start to say to yourself, well, is he really a number one goalie? Is he really worth that money? Is he really a guy that's going to be able to win you a Stanley Cup? And, and I think that's really, you know, the question. Uh, clearly in their organization, they don't have anybody that's as good as him. You know, they don't they – don't, there's nobody else they're going to go to right now. I'm of the opinion they're going to need to, when they when and if they want to win a cup again, mm-hmm. it's going to have to be another goalie. They're going to have mm-hmm. to find a different solution and a different number one than Tuca. I just yeah. don't think he's going to be able to take them there. Yeah, he's no um, Timmy Thomas, I'll tell you that. All right, listen. <laughs> well, you know what? He's not, but like I also know that you look at the Tim Thomas season that he had, and it's one of the best seasons a goaltender's ever had in the history of the NHL. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's tough for anybody. It was so good that he – you know, went uh, went off to the cuckoo's nest right after that. Uh, he's mostly not but, Tim Thomas because he's not holed up in a fallout shelter surrounded by canned food at the moment. But uh, well, you know, he's underground somewhere, waiting <laughs> for the, the grid to go down and waiting for the the currency to fail. And uh, he's got his gold bricks and his uh, cans of food. Yeah. And he's, re- he's ready to go. Tim Thomas doesn't strike me as a Bitcoin guy. Uh, all right, Hags, <laughs> you're the best. Uh, find all of Joe Haggerty's genius on NBC Sports Boston where he is the senior VP of Boston Insiders. And uh, we'll talk to you down the line, buddy. Thanks. Uh, Take it easy, Wish. Always a pleasure. And Emily, good talking to you. All right. Thanks to Joe Haggerty for joining us and talking about the bees. Coming up, it's Shane Gossespierre, defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers, after the break. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. All right, and we're back on ESPN on Ice. Emily, in the grand ranking of hockey nicknames, where does Ghost Bear rank for you? Top 10? Top 5? Uh, the ghost or ghost bear? Ghost bear. I like the ghost. Well, see, ghost bear was sort of the fan created one mm. where people started to bring uh, placards to games with the ghost and bear emojis on it. But mm. you like the ghost, which is probably more of his traditional hockey nickname. I hate to say that, like in the great state of Pennsylvania, I'm siding with the Yinzers, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I like the ghost. So the ghost for me would be top 10. Ghost uh-huh. bear would be top 15. Okay. It's, and by the way, his hockey nickname is probably Barry. Yeah. Ghostsy. Yeah. Some no- Shaney. Ghoster. 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 Ah, Ghoster. there it is. <laughs> All right. Well, Shane Gossespierre caught up with him recently, uh, before a Flyers game and, uh, got right into one of the more tragic aspects of his otherwise great season, which is uh, getting woefully ill at the end of his bye week. Some unfortunate luck. Uh, it sucked, but you know, obviously, I'm feeling good now and happy yeah. to be back with my team. Obviously, do you like bye weeks? Uh, I, I I like it. I mean, 
kind of sucked because I think we were kind of hot going into it. Yeah. But, you know, luckily we stayed hot, and I think some guys were hot too, and you know they stayed hot too. So <laughs> I guess it's a give and take. It's a give and take, but I mean, I, I remember the, last year there seemed to be a lot of like hand wringing over how teams played off their bye week, like yeah, broke momentum and that kind of thing. The NHL did a good job this year. You know, yeah. we're not playing a team that's not on their bye week. I mean, we're coming back from we're playing another team that's just coming off their bye week too. So it's even keel. It's you know even even playing field, and I think that was, was good the way they did that. Uh, they have you at Proveroff now, eh? Yeah. So this is two guys that like the puck. Uh, how's that work? It's, it's good. It's a give and take. Like I just said, um, I mean, obviously we both want the puck. Uh, sometimes we're, you know, we're racing each other to get up the ice. But, you know, it's a give and take thing. I mean, uh, Provy knows that, you know, I'm going to jump up in the play and he's going to stay back. And I know he's going to jump up in the play and I'll stay back. And, you know, we feed off each other in that sense. Do you, as a, as a, as a puck movement defenseman, do you like that better than the traditional one guy hangs back thing? Oh, do you think yeah. it kind of makes it, make, does it even maybe, maybe keep other teams on their toes a little bit more? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to be aware of us both. Obviously, we're on the ice at the same time and even when you're in the ozone and playing, you know, both of us are going to be diving down and you know, it's a little scary at times, you know, because we can both get caught, but I think, you know, we've realized to the point in our careers, you know, when the correct time is to jump up and when not to. So there's no NBA give me the rock kind of thing? There's, no, it's... There's enough balls to go around. It's a share the rock sort of thing. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about your Players' Tribune piece, which I thought was really nice, because I'm fascinated by you growing up as a Panthers fan. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, uh, it was obviously a great piece, and you know, a lot of people give me credit for it. I mean, I didn't even write it. But. Yeah, I believe the Players' Review motto is that you guys all write it, and they just change the punctuation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll go with that. <laughs> you grew up a Panthers fan, though. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Like, and you were there, I think, during Pavel, Pavel Bure time. Yeah, was it? yeah, it was. It was a great time. I mean, obviously. You know, if it, I believe in my career, I mean, if it wasn't for the Panthers, I don't think I'd be so obsessed with hockey. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, down Florida, it's such a baseball, you know, football sort of state. And mm-hmm. I think just for me, you know, I was obsessed with hockey and playing, and the Panthers really did help that. When you're growing up a Panthers fan, are you an outsider in your in your high school? Like, are you or are there other other hockey fans that you gravitate people, to? People know about it, but mostly my friends were my teammates. Yeah. You know, and my travel team; those were my friends. I mean, I didn't. I had obviously school friends, but it wasn't see after school hanging. Yeah. Out. It's not a thing. I was playing hockey with my other friends, so it was cool. I grew up in Jersey, and, and I, I didn't have a lot of hockey friends in high school. Like, most of my hockey friends brought me out of high school, and, like, Canadians don't understand that about Americans. Yeah. Because every Canadian kid went to a school where everybody talks yeah, about exactly. hockey 24-7. Then you tell them you went to school, and you're like, I had to find hockey fans in school, and they yeah. just they don't compete. doesn't compute yeah, that that's the experience. Absolutely. I mean, like, kids coming from Canada, you know, they live and breathe hockey. <laughs> you go to Florida, obviously they don't. So it's obviously <laughs> definitely different. And I mentioned, I saw you when you last got Last time you guys were through, you were talking about the, the attendance there and, and at the Panthers games. And, you know, obviously it's not a, a, a division-winning team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you fired the coach that got them a division title. Yeah. Uh, if you could diagnose it, like, how do you get more fans to come out to a Panthers game, uh, being a local guy? It's it's hard. I mean, Florida Florida sports fans is sort of a bandwagon state yeah. uh, in, in a sense. I mean... You look at the Miami Heat now. I don't think a lot of people are going to those games, but you know, it's just uh, it's 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 a sense of growing the game. I mean, you know, you're trying to grow the game anywhere. I mean, I think Carolina's looking at attendance issues, obviously too. Yeah. But you know, they've won a cup there over a decade ago. Right. So like, it, it's it's a give and take thing, and sort of you know, you try to you know make the best of it. Is it a championship thing? Is it like the Marlins where like if you win a World Series then all of a sudden everybody's into you or yeah. do you think it's like a good... If, they, if, they if they made the playoffs like five years straight then yeah, you see I mean it's obviously different. I mean yeah. when you have 
I don't want to call them mediocre, but you know, a team that's not so consistent on making the playoffs, it's hard for you know a fan base to really latch on. Like in Philly, you know, we're expected to make the playoffs. Right. When we don't, obviously they're pretty pissed. So it's definitely you know it's it's a thing where you just gotta you know find that consistent you know winning atmosphere. Had the Philly fans turn on you? Yet? Can you can you go out and get the support? Are you still young enough where like yeah, you're, you're still, still young beloved? Yeah, for sure. They haven't turned on me yet. What's that? I mean, I think it's the best sports town in America for various reasons. I mean, from a passion reason, it's still a place where sports talk radio exists as a therapy session for fans. What's it? What's it like living amongst Philly fans? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I mean, there's such a passionate fan base to, to the point where you know you don't do one good thing or one thing right, they'll jump all over you. But you know, you rather have that than you know an empty building or fans that didn't care. Yeah, stuff like that. So it's definitely it's definitely different, but I don't mind it. Yeah. I mean, it's like being a writer. Like, yeah. when people are yelling at you about how you suck, at least sure. they're reading it, something yeah. that you wrote, in theory. Uh-huh. Maybe they just don't like you personally. Yeah, yeah that could be it, too. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, about, about criticism, though, because I've, I've, there's been so many articles about you lately about your improving defense. Mm-hmm. And that's always kind of bugged me about offensive defensemen, like the stigma that, that the, the false stigma that offensive defensemen don't play D. Yeah. Like, do you think that's it, it's fair? It's, I mean, it's just a stereotype situation. Yeah. I mean, automatically I'm put down because I'm offensive-minded. Yeah. And it's obviously something that annoys you, but, you know, I'm playing defense the way I was taught and how I've learned over the year, and, you know, obviously I'm doing better and people are noticing it. I mean, I don't know if they notice it if I had 10 points. But yeah. If, I'm ha- if I have a lot of points and people are be like, oh, his defense is so good now. <laughs> Just like okay, cool. He's recommitted himself. Yeah, he's recommitted yeah. himself. But it's like know, it's like when Taves goes uh, two rounds without a point, and they're like, "Well, he's just focusing on defense." Exactly. There's <laughs> always a, a sort of you know different situation, but you know, I think I take pride in my defensive game, and I really worked on it over the year, and I yeah. can really see it in my game this year. So it's not a situation where your defense was was great A, and people are just starting to notice that you put some work. No, in it's definitely it. been a work in progress. Trust okay. me, I'm not no defensive dynamo here, but <laughs> for sure, I've been you know trying hard to get. I feel like offensive defensemen have gotten a bit more of a of a of a good deal though in the last week. Well, that's the thing. Like I remember when I I covered the Capitals and Mike Green was scoring Mm -hmm. like thirty goals, right? And and that's when you started to see this argument of like, well, listen, he's got the puck. When you have the puck, the other team doesn't have it, so that's actually good defense is to possess the puck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, analytics help. All right, two more for you, Uh, non hockey related. What are the three apps on your phone you think you use the most these days? Uh, Snapchat. I don't have any social media, so... It's a smart decision. Yeah, probably the, the news app, Apple News or whatever, mm-hmm. just to... See what's going on. Catch up, see the latest, you know, political standpoints. <laughs> uh, that and, uh, I don't know what else, really. Maybe my weather app. Yeah. I look yeah. at that a lot. Oh, God. You, the, the political standpoints thing. Oh, you have to check it every hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Snapchat to stay in touch with friends or Snapchat to put, like, dog ears on yourself when Just you look at the Just to stay in touch with friends. Oh, yeah. something you can A little more private. You control it. Yeah, that's true. Last thing you binged on the road. Are you watching anything these days? Uh, suits. I'm crushing it right now. Yeah. Season six. Why Why Suits? What's, comp- um, what's All my friends are watching it. They watch it when we were in college, and I never watched it with them. And Yeah. Definitely catch up. Catch on. Yeah, that's how I feel about Game of Thrones. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't watch it at first, and now I'm playing catch up because yeah. everybody else told me it kicks no, ass. Buddy, last night he came over. He's like, "You need to watch Game of Thrones." I'm like, "All right, easy now." You have to. I have to get through Suits first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I guess finally, finally, um, have you made your peace with the Olympics? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's always a disappointment because you know you want to represent your country. I mean, it's tough, but 
you know, it's 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 cool to see, you know, the guys who have made the teams yeah. over and, you know, really, you know, have something to, you know, see in their career. And it's cool that they get to represent our country, and I know they're going to do a great job. And I think that's the, you know, the biggest positive that you take away from it right now is just to, you know, see those other guys get a chance and, you know, go overseas and, you know, go kill it. Our thanks to Shane Gossespierre and also to the Philadelphia Flyers for giving us Shane Gossespierre for really this podcast. That was really good stuff, Greg. Well, thank you very much. I, I am going to be asking every single American player uh, from now Maybe th- until 2020 uh, or 2022, rather, about uh, not being par- a part of the Olympics. And I feel so bad because, again, as an American, this could have been it. This could have been the year with all the guys that we have on that team like Glass is there. But no, no dice. Mm. Anyways, so it, it, let's cheer ourselves up with our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. <laughs> That's right. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the uh, moment uh, each week where we take a media-driven narrative and uh, break it down because it's dumb. This week, we're going to talk about the non-cynical embrace of Hurricanes owner Thomas Dundon. Now, he's the guy who uh, finally closed the deal to buy the Carolina Hurricanes from Peter Carmanos. Uh, and boy, was the coverage great. It was one of those deals where a young guy, he's like 43, 44 years old. He's friends with Mark Cuban. Uh, he's super enthusiastic. He's saying all the right things about spending more money to get players and, 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 and being dedicated to the team. And we, it's not, you know, if we're not bringing in fans, it's probably not their fault. It's our fault and saying all the right things. Here are the two things I was looking for this week from this guy and from the coverage of this guy. The first is, Something that that uh, both the um, News and Observer uh, and uh, Deadspin wrote about, but was not really touched on by a lot of other media, which is that this guy made all his money as a subprime auto loan, basically bad loan guy. Do <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? Yeah. It's like the Pagula family. And I'm a Penn Stater, so we talk about them like they gave $100 million to give us a hockey team. Mm-hmm. They bought all the Buffalo teams, and they're doing such great things with renovating downtown. No one talks about the fact that they got their money through fracking. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So from from the Deadspin article, uh, Dundon found a subprime auto loan company in 1992 and sold it to Santander Bank in 2006. The sole purpose of his company in its various iterations was to provide loans to customers with bad credit so that they could buy cars. Sucks for Santander Bank. Yeah. According to regulatory filings, they'd offer loans with interest rates as high as 29% to customers that the company knew would have a hard time repaying their debts. Skipping ahead. While uh, Dundon was enriching himself, his company's aggressive hawking of dangerous loans was driving desperate customers to financial ruin. Uh, As of the third quarter of 2017, Americans owed a total of $1.21 trillion in auto loan debt and Santander is the biggest player in that market. He resigned from the bank in 2015 and uh, got a nice exit package of $713 million, which I'm sure some will be uh, repurposed for the signing of Carolina players. Um, so, yeah, I, maybe a little bit more scrutiny on that end and maybe a little more scrutiny on, uh, you know, we're not treating the guy like the, the, the yippee new puppy and, and being like, okay, uh, Carolina is clearly a market where the fans will come if you're winning Stanley Cups and not coming if you're not. How do you fix that? And 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 being like, okay, that's great. You might spend a little bit more money, but but how do you fix that? Well, did you see? I think Elliot Friedman put in his 31 thoughts. He's inviting people on the team plane if they got married at the arena. Like that's the goodwill he's doing in this great city. Yeah. 
Look, I think that you should need to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think one of the things that's really encouraging, if you are a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes, and I don't want to discredit them, there are fans that exist. There's a lot of great fans. Yeah. yeah. And he's committed to, even though he has ties to Texas, to keeping them in Carolina. Part of it is part of his deal. In my understanding, I think it's seven or ten years where they can't apply for relocation with mm. a new ownership deal. Mm. So they have to be there in Raleigh or Carolina. So give this guy the benefit of the doubt that he's going to make it work. But you're right. There probably needs to be a little more skepticism. They've also had a sweetheart arena deal for a really yes. long time, which has yes. always been the main reason why the relocation talk from our friends in Quebec has never really come to fruition. <laughs> oh, and, Quebec. Oh, God. It, I, it, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on this podcast, but like my, one of my favorite things in all of hockey is the Gary Bettman press conference at the All-Star Game or the draft or wherever, and he's answering questions about the Olympics and about escrow and about this and about that. And then eventually, seventh or eighth question, every single time he's done it for the, the last 10 years, it's always been, Oh, Mr. Batman, it is uh, Jacques uh, Lapresse from the... Uh, when do you think that you're going to be relocating the Hurricanes to Quebec City? Do you know what it reminds me of? When I used to cover the NFL, it was this running joke that Sam Farmer with the LA Times would go to every Goodell press conference, and the first question always would be about... When is the NFL coming back to Los Angeles? And what's funny about Quebec is I learned this recently. It's kind of like when you're an intern and you apply for an internship to a hiring manager and you call back every couple of months and you're like, how's my internship uh, application? <laughs> it's on file. <laughs> like, that's Quebec. My favorite thing now is the idea that that uh, Roger Goodell is so spiteful and vindictive. He's like, you know what, Sam Farmer? Have all the teams. <laughs> and you want a team in L.A. And no one will come. And no one will come. Exactly. All right. Well, there you go. So be, be be more mindful of where this money comes from when you have new NHL owners. But at the same time, the bar is set kind of low. Uh, he doesn't seem to be an abject criminal like some of the other owners the NHL has dabbled in yes. during the Batman years. And he legitimately has money. Yeah, he legitimately has. Exactly. Or so we think. Or so we think, right? Um, as long as people need cars and are poor and are willing to pay 29%, oh. I guess they'll have money. Um all right, now it's time for Puck Headlines, our uh, quick look around some of the news and views around the NHL and hockey in general. Dateline Tampa Bay, Emily. Dateline Pirate Festival. Dateline date, date Gasparilla. Yes, couldn't remember that word. That's why I'm here. Kid Rock has been hired as the musical talent for the National oh. Hockey League All-Star Game. Checking the calendar, it does indeed seem to be 2018. Which means that, yes, Kid Rock would be the type of celebrity that the NHL would hire for their entertainment. This just shows how out of touch, in my opinion, they are of what their young fans really want. I don't know anyone under the age of 22 who listens to Kid Rock unironically. <laughs> um, I think it's also a little bit of an alienating uh, choice because of his political views. Uh, I don't want to make any comments about Florida because I know there's fine people in Florida, but it just it made me cringe a little bit. It just did not feel like something that you should get excited for. The reaction to this when they announced it was really bad. I mean, it became a Twitter moment itself, the negative reaction to Kid Rock being named this game. Yeah, politically, it's it's tone deaf. I mean, he's he's a bit of a toxic guy now. He was threatening a senatorial run. Uh, you know, he's been one of the few celebrities to align himself with Donald Trump. Uh, and that in and of itself is a, is, is a radioactive thing. And uh, and he's not good. Uh, so the only <laughs> things I could think of are that he is a hockey fan and being a hockey fan is something that the NHL will always defer to in signing talent. There's so many good Canadian magi- musicians <laughs> and magicians. Get a Canadian <laughs> <That's right>. magician. <laughs> 
I'd rather have that. And the, and the only thing I could think of is that, I mean, my, my, my pet theory on this, and I, I have to do some reporting on it at some point this week to figure out exactly what happened here. He was part of the Detroit Mafia. He was part of the, of the, of the crew of people that partied with the cup. Chelios. Chelios yep. and, and all those guys. Was Steve Eiserman a Kid Rock boy? And since the game is in Tampa. Campaigned. Yeah. And is, is the game is in Tampa. Does Steve Eiserman go to the league and, and, you know, do the thing where he's Steve Eiserman and says, you're going to give me Kid Rock. And then the league's like, we're going to give you Kid Rock. You're Steve Eiserman. In my opinion, Steve Eiserman did nothing the last two weeks except think about Victor Hedman. But that's just me. <laughs> All right. All right. So Kid Rock and up and down your block. Uh, Dateline Buffalo. Vander Kane. The price tag, according to Darren Drager of TSN. A roster player, a first round pick, a prospect, and a conditional pick. If Kane signs with the team he's traded to four pieces for Evander Kane, would you pay that price tag if you were an NHL team looking for some goals? I don't think so. And I don't think this price tag is also realistic or legitimate. As we talked about on the top, I think sometimes when you know someone is, you know, on the trade block, uh, it definitely devalues them. And Kane, in my understanding, every single person in the NHL and their mother knows he's on the trade block. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a little unrealistic. And look, he's a fantastic player. I think he can definitely add an oomph to a lot of playoff teams. But this just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, it does to me, too, because I I think it's pretty clear he's not going to return to Buffalo, like right. you said. And, and and when they have that aspect of it, you figure there's no reason why uh, they'd be asking so much for an asset they're going to lose anyway for nothing. I am really intrigued, though. Basically, every trade in the NHL comes down to one thing, which is what is the relationship between the two, to the two general managers? Mm. Did one guy work for the other guy? Is one guy the other guy's son? Or is it B- Bowman and John Chica who just have become best friends? The best friends, yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a pipeline between the Rangers and the Coyotes for a long time too. Uh, when when Maloney was John there, Chica has so many friends. He's, he's a very he's a very uh, likable likable young man. I mean, you know, you, you want to work with him. He's a go getter, uh, but. In this case, like the idea that the Penguins might be looking to add mm. a piece to their top six. There's some connection yeah, there. And Botterill obviously is, a, you know, the GM of the Sabres comes from the Penguins organization. Uh, that was sort of intriguing and probably something to keep an eye on because, again, this league is so dumb and, and nothing interesting ever happens. It's just a bunch of friends just passing assets back and forth to each other uh, like they're uh, trading hockey cards as kids. Yeah, and as you and I discussed, the Penguins are definitely going to the Stanley Cup final, and Evander Kane is going to be the guy that gets them there. Dateline Western Conference. Who makes the cut out of the following teams? The Calgary Flames, the Dallas Stars, the Minnesota Wild, the San Jose Sharks, the Colorado Avalanche, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Anaheim Ducks. What's at stake here? Because I'm, I'm going to say the top three in the Central are pretty solid right now. Yes. So what's at stake here is two wild card teams and a Pacific Division team out of that group. So what's crazy is I think you can make this Dateline Central Division because I think the two Central Division teams are going to take the two wild card spots. Heck, Colorado looks better than Chicago right now. Would you disagree? I I would not disagree, especially because of their goaltending situation. Right. I think Calgary's coming on hot, and I would love to see them make a push. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of this group, I like the Wild. I like the Stars. I'll go Calgary makes the cut in the Pacific. Yes. I'll say Dallas makes the cut for the wild card. Because Tyler Sagan will score all of the overtime goals. God, that goal the other night was incredible. It's, it was just perfect for yeah. him against Boston. Like I said, I, when I saw that gift, my reaction was it looked like 
He was every player that he passed on the ice on the Bruins. He just looked at them and said, sleep. And they just dropped to the ice like he's got some Professor X power. And I would say the other team only because I'm going to stick with this team until I will be proven wrong by them. The Ducks. Just mathematically not being able to make the playoffs quack, is the Ducks. Quack, 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 quack. You're a quack. Ducks fly together. That was such a I, lame joke. I, I, uh, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, they're, look, they're bad. Yeah. And, uh, and they're old. But I still got to believe that they're going to be able to sneak into these playoffs somehow. Like Gibson's played well enough. Yeah. Miller's played great. The goaltending's there. Yes, the defense on paper is great. They just can't seem to get their act together offensively. Uh, but I'm, I still think they're, they're hanging around and mathematically they're within striking distance. And I, I don't have faith in Chicago. I don't have faith in Colorado, San Jose. I can't figure out. And as much as I want to rely on, on Bruce Boudreaux's pedigree with the wild, I'm starting to believe that may, they might not be a playoff team. What? I know. It's I, sad. I think this is finally the year when they don't have a great regular season that they're going to have an awesome postseason. Yeah, you know who they used to say that about a lot? Uh, the when, when the Capitals would have a bad <laughs> yeah. regular season and then they get in the playoffs and be like, all right, this is it. And then, nope. Mm. All right, finally, Dateline, the blue line, the big controversy in all of hockey in the last week. Will the NHL tweak or dump the offside coaches challenge when the GMs meet in March? Well, you said it's a controversy. This is such a controversy that even... Connor McDavid, who doesn't weigh in on things like his 21st <laughs> birthday, even weighed in on this. Like, that's how big of this has become in the NHL. Um, I think they are absolutely going to look at it at March's meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a tweak is definitely on the table. I think they should just dump it, though, because, look, this is becoming controversial now. What happens to when we get into the playoffs and there is a really important goal in a deciding game that gets called back? Mm-hmm. There's going to be mayhem. Yeah, but that's the, that's exactly why I think they're not going to dump it hmm. is because of the idea that in some key situation, like let's say they get rid of the rule next year and then in some key situation in the playoffs, there's an offside call that would have been overturned mm. through the coach's so the challenge. Opposite, yeah. And then like the whole league will swing back to there and be like, how dare we get rid of this coach's challenge? It's a vital part of the game. Um, I think in true NHL fashion, they'll tweak it and then probably make it even more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but I, I agree with you that I don't think they're going to have uh the uh the fortitude to dump the rule altogether. But it does bring me to one last puck headline. I'm freelancing here. Ooh. Dateline Vegas. Your thoughts on Connor McDavid spending his 21st birthday with the chain smokers? <laughs> Those are my thoughts exactly. Just that one sentence. <laughs> I did, however, love the TMZ write up of it. Did you see that? No, I didn't. <laughs> it was incredible. In like TMZ fashion, it was like. Connor McDavid, dot, 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 NHL superstar, dot, 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 parties in Vegas. Lucky for him, the Oilers have off. The next game is six days away, dot, 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 dot. party on. Um, Better coverage than you find at Edmonton usually. Did you see any of the photos look like he was actually partying, or was he just standing there at a club that Chainsmokers happened to be at? That's actually how he parties. Yeah. Uh, just mo- it's mostly just stationary. <laughs> he also parties by <laughs> exercising his voice on things like the offsides challenge. Um I imagine he walked in knowing the uh, Chainsmokers' biggest hit. He's like, where's Halsey? And the Ooh. Chainsmokers are like, he got traded to Jersey for Adam Larson. All right, that's the show. You know, Hal- Halsey's a female, right? <laughs> That's the show for the week. Uh, We do have, once again, you folks have come through with another voicemail to ESPN on Ice. We have something for the rant line this week. And before we do that, the guy who called in the first week, he sent us a Twitter message. He was so honored and blessed that his voicemail made the air. And you, too, can be honored and blessed if you call in. Yeah. So we'll give you that number after you hear this from the hotline. 
Emily, Greg, let's all agree that ice hockey is the best spectator sport. You have wonderful action, nonstop, wonderful sight lines, unless, you know, you're at Barclays. But outside of that, there's one thing in the stadium that stinks about NHL hockey games, and that's the entertainment at intermission. We get the same stuff. Cute kids playing a little hockey, or some guy without skates trying to make a full-length shot to win a $50 gift certificate to a restaurant. We can do better. We need better intermission entertainment at NHL hockey games. And I want to hear your best options because I'm going to scream if I watch another guy without skates miss by 50 feet a shot from the other side of the ring. If I wanted to see that, I'd watch the Coyotes more this year. Ah, um, that was amazing. I will say this about that. My dad once participated in Scoro at a Devils game, and uh, I agree with you. It was painful to watch. You you want your dad to be a hero, and you realize he doesn't know how to hold a stick. Uh, the, 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 the I'll say two things about this, I, this notion of better uh, intermission entertainment. It's gotten better in some places. There are places now that have people go inside of giant hamster balls and then do where? races on where the ice. I saw, I forget where I saw this. Maybe at a Ranger game or Devil game or something. But like, they, they go in giant, inside of giant hamster balls. They, ru- they run around on the ice. And, um, and that's the race that they have, which is much better than tricycles or anything else. The thing that I saw at a recent Ranger game, though, that was encouraging was sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll let kids play at intermission. Yeah. And oh, it's I love usually it, the little squirts. It's the, or the mites on ice. Yeah. yeah. And it's usually really cute, except for the fact that when they used to do it at Devil's Games, they'd have them play the full rink. Right. And they get gas when they get to the blue line. <laughs> yeah. And, and seeing a bunch of kids slowly skate after a really, really slow puck. And the Devils were really kind of clever about it. They used to play reggae music while the kids would play. So it almost became kind of hypnotic. But the Ranger game I went to, <laughs> they set up a, a like partition at one of the blue lines, so now it's two zones instead of three. And, and I would say that the quality of play in the Mites on Ice game was greatly improved. What about you? What do you want to see in, in between periods? Yeah, well, to your point, you're right. Hockey is the best live game experience. Anyone who's not a hockey fan needs to go to a game live. What I'd like to see is you and I were both at that Vegas home opener. They'd Cirque du Soleil in between <laughs> periods. And I'm not saying that every team needs Cirque du Soleil, but do something that's authentic to the city that you're in. Like maybe there's a deep dish pizza eating contest in <laughs> Chicago, or maybe in Philly they just sh- throw cheesesteaks at you Ghost Bear. You just want Bear. A, a regional regional link to the yeah. inter- intermission area. Yeah, so uh, hit me with your best regional uh, ideas. Yeah. Or or in, in, in summary, just like everything else this season, be more like Vegas. Yeah, be more like <laughs> Vegas. How can people get on the rant line next episode? You know what? That was an incredible rant. You have a lot to match, but uh, you can call this number, and it's 860-516-1029, and uh, leave us a voicemail. Please do. All right, and also leave us your feedback on iTunes. The more reviews that you leave good, bad, or indifferent, the better it is for people to find this dopey show. And we appreciate all of them, but mostly the good ones. Yeah, if you listen this long, you're probably one who's going to give us a good one, so we want you to reach out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. I'm Emily Kaplan. And thanks for listening to ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.